of the church and say, this is where we want to get to. And, um, but it was a little bit like a family photo. Like if you don't know the context of what's going on, it looks like everything's perfect and it kind of loses meaning. But if you get the story behind the photo, all of a sudden that photo matters more. Do you know what I mean? Like there's this one photo of me and my brother and sister on Christmas and my mom loves it. And like if I showed it to you, it's the most awkward photo of the three of us that you could invent. Like we're all in front of this evergreen tree with my basketball post right there, and uh, my sister looks really mad, mostly because she was, and, and I look like I'm cold, because I always am in Minnesota winters, and I look crabby because I, I was, and my brother looks extremely photogenic because a camera was out, and, and this just looks like an awkward photo, but reality is that we had just gotten a giant argument. We had already had like 4,000 photos inside. And my rule is like, you get like a couple photos, but I, I get tired of like stopping life for more photos. And my mom on this Christmas decided we need a million of them. And we need to pretend that we like each other, which just wasn't true on this Christmas. And, and so we were fighting. It was probably about who got to put what CD in the CD in the, in the car when we drove and it was cold and we weren't ready in time and, and we were late for church, but we needed to get this photo done. You guys ever have those kind of photo moments? And then everybody has to like fake happy. And my sister looks like she's going to tackle somebody. And I look like I might be that somebody who's going to get tackled. And then my brother's just ready as ever for a photo. And it's awkward and it's goofy, and you look at the photo, and you just think we're really awkward, and then, and then you, like, get to know us and get to know where we are in that season, and it's just, okay. Like, that, that pretty much encapsulates who we were. My brother's ready. My sister and I are fighting, and we're late. That's a good story picture of where we are at that time. So this, these verses in, in Acts chapter 2 are, are like a photo of, of where the church is, but we're going to backtrack and get the story because they are not the same people as they were seven weeks ago. In seven weeks, all of life can change. You guys know that, right? I mean, seven weeks ago, one church began. It, it sometimes seems really longer than that. Sometimes it feels shorter than that. But our first, ser- our first like service, public service, was seven weeks ago. And over the seven weeks, we've had a lot of emotions, right? We've been really excited, like, this is for real. We're actually doing this. We've been nervous because this is for real, and we're actually doing this. We, we've, some people have been, like, angry about stuff because stuff is different than what we've known before. And when things change, we just reach for any emotion, and we can't define that emotion. We reach for anger because it's cheap. And so we just get angry. We've been nervous. Who's going to come? Who's going to come twice? Who's going to come three times and set up a chair? We've felt hope. We've felt joy. We've, we've experienced things in, in worshiping together that, that are new and different and, and moments of, of just celebrating who God is. A lot has happened in this seven weeks as we've felt hope that maybe, just maybe, we can inherit something many of us were never even courageous enough to ask for. And so in seven weeks, a lot can happen. 
And if you go seven weeks before the end of Acts 2, you see Jesus entering Jerusalem. And our church calendar says that this is Palm Sunday. This is the day that we celebrate today. And in Mark chapter 11, he writes it like this. He says, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the ground while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead of the, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So Jesus comes in on this tiny little colt, which like is one of my favorite things to think about, him on this little baby donkey thing. And a parade of people gather in front of him and behind him. And they go into the fields. Whoever owns these fields is really either really happy or really mad on this day because everybody's cutting everything down. And they're laying it all in front of Jesus and they're taking off their coats. And they're laying their coats in front of Jesus. And they're yelling, Hosanna. They're yelling, blessed is he. Everybody, this parade of people yelling for Jesus and they're laying these down, right? Like, like a king is coming and how you roll out that thing for a king or a bride, kind of. Like you roll out the carpet. They made one out of jackets and branches, because this is the man who's healed, who's delivered, who's spoken words unlike anyone else. This is their Messiah coming to Jerusalem, coming to establish his kingdom. Hosanna, blessed is he. They saw Jesus and they recognized him for who he was. He was the king of kings. He was the Lord of lords. He was here. And so on that Sunday, everything they had, they laid in front of them. This is a beautiful moment. As everybody recognized him at work on that Sunday. And then Monday came. And he didn't take up arms against Rome. In fact, he took a hard line against people who stood for God and were standing in the way of other people getting to God He didn't do things the way that the people thought that he should do things. And so quickly, it's as if they went back to their branches and said, like, oh, my bad. Never mind. I'm going to take that back. Never mind. I got that one. It's, It's as if they took their cloaks back up, as if they had laid everything down and then said, well, I don't like what you're doing, so I'm going to take it back. You see, they they quickly picked up everything they had set down to the point that Jesus was arrested. And Pilate, the Roman leader, says, what shall I do then with the one that you call the king of the Jews? And they yelled, crucify him. The people who said Hosanna were now saying crucify him just days later. This is like a giant, my bad, didn't mean it. I guess we were wrong. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted louder, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Mark says in Chapter 15, Pilate releases Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. These are some temperamental people. Can't believe they'd act like this. The first billion times I read this, I was like, these people, make up your mind. Like, I don't get it at all. You, you, you celebrate him, you praise him, you recognize him, and then you're the very same people who just a couple days later don't anymore. You set your coats down and then you pick them back up. You yell for Jesus to be killed. Why, Why would you act 
this way, and then I look at me. This week I spent some time looking at my own life and, and reflecting on my life. And I remember being at the point where I was in my dorm room and I was praying and I was very sincere as I said, Jesus, you can have all of my life. You can send me anywhere you want. I will do anything for you. And I laid it all down and then I said, but I get to marry that girl named Nikki, right? Because like I'm all for it except like she has to come along because I can't do this. I'll do everything, but I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I will. I remember I got hired to be a youth pastor, and I was like, we're going to do things just completely the way that God wants us to do it. We're going to be radically different, not for the sake of different, but because I think he wants to do a brand new thing. And so we prayed, Lord, will you do something new in us? And we prayed that as I grew a goatee and wear plaid shirts and learn to play guitar because we were going to be different. Because God was going to do something brand new. God, I believe you can move, but you're moving slow. So I'm going to move for you. I've done that over and over. God, I believe that you're faithful. I believe that you're a healer. But then a whole bunch of emotions of frustration and fear and all that come up and instead of laying that before him as well I just pick it all up and say no I'm, I'm going to go do this one on my own you are lord of my life except when I don't want you to be lord of my life and real quick he can be lord of our Sunday from 1030 to noonish and maybe a couple other windows in between but our lord becomes time or Lord comes our, our own priorities. Way too often I've done this. You see, I've never come to the point of yelling, crucify him. But if you read my heart, that attitude's been there. Way too often I've been my own Messiah. Because I'm sure I know best. I'm sure I know what healing looks like. I'm sure I know what restoration looks like. I'm sure I know what grace and mercy look like. And there's no way that he could have something bigger or better, or different. And so real quickly, I start to pray, my will, not yours. This isn't just past tense, right? At least for me, maybe you guys are all fixed up and sanctified. But for me, this is, these are those moments where the flesh sneaks up. It tries to take control so that I can't trust God with what he's doing. And how quickly the hosannas become crucify him. But here's the beauty. Part of the beauty of Palm Sunday is what happens seven weeks later. You see, usually on Palm Sunday, I feel happy for a minute and then I feel really depressed because Good Friday's coming. And Good Friday's really not the good Friday, like it's kind of the sad Friday, right? I mean, it's good, but it's sad and all, all of these kind of things. And then Easter, and I get all hung up. But reality is seven weeks later, these people who yelled crucify him with one voice have now heard the good news in their own language. And they've heard Peter preach this message unlike anything else. And they've had the Holy Spirit pierce their hearts. And they've heard the news and they've been asked what it would require of them. And they, they learn that it's to believe and be baptized and live as new. And seven weeks later, they're doing it. Seven weeks later, they're like, okay, all in. All in on this thing. 
See, at one point, they lay down these branches. A week later, they're like, I don't think so anymore. And then just seven weeks from the beginning, they're like, okay, now I get it. The Holy Spirit has come. I am radically different. I am all in on this thing. That's the backstory to this photograph that we get in Acts 2. And here's what the photo looks like. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is what the early church is up to. It's that simple. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We have those in written form, right? But they didn't have the New Testament. They were living it. And so they had the apostles right there talking to them, recounting what Jesus had gone through making the Old Testament make sense in light of all that Jesus is and the Holy Spirit has revealed. And so they heard the apostles teach. This is us reading it. They decided they were going to spend time together. They spent time together corporately like this, and then they spent time together in homes together. And they ate together. This breaking of bread is like, yes, eating meals, but it's, it's celebrating the communion, the Lord's Supper it's gathering together, and, and they didn't have like a little cup and a little piece of gluten-free bread. They, they had like a meal, and they said, this is the feast of the Lord's Supper. And they would feast on what God has done and what Jesus did just weeks before every time they gathered together. Every time they ate, they'd be like, Do you, I still can't believe he did that. I still can't believe what the Holy Spirit is doing right now in our midst. They broke bread together and they prayed together. These are the programs of the first church. These are the events of the first church. Verse 43, it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Okay, I don't know if you've ever done this, but this is one of those places where I have completely misread the Bible. This is one of those verses that I just read backwards. I always thought that if we had everything in common, that meant that the really important things, like we had similar facial hair, like the women would have one facial hair look and the men would have another, that we would drive similar vehicles. I I worked at a church once that nearly everyone had a blue Kia van. And like that just showed that we were like in this together. That we'd watch the same shows so that we would have things to talk about. Because, you know, life is no deeper than a television show. That we would like the same, like, ratio of guitars to singers in the band on Sunday. You know, all the important things, that we would have those things together. We would agree on what verses were the most important, and we would compare continue to have our minds blown by the same verses over and over and then deeper things that you don't really talk about like like we would we would shame the same things and we'd sin the same way and those things would just be okay and other things wouldn't be okay and that's what it would look like to have all things in common, and and so we would have all these things in common, we would find people like us, and then we would just like hide in the corner and watch for signs and wonders, and wonder when that would happen, but my how seven weeks can change you. In the times of Jesus, seven weeks can change you, in the times now, 
It's been one of the most incredible things personally for me since we've committed to being one church is I can truthfully tell you that the entire New Testament reads differently. I open up the New Testament and, and I'm, I'm seeing things I didn't see before, not because I'm awesome or anything silly like that, but because I get to worship with people that some of you I didn't worship with before. Or I would worship with some of you at, at early and then some of you later in a different room and it would feel different. But when we're together, things like my old reading of everything in common go away because we don't have everything in common, at least the way I used to define that. And reality is we know that in the context of these verses, these are people who spoke different languages and came from different places and had different backgrounds. Some were born Jews. Some believed their way into Judaism. They, they came from all over the place. And by the time we get to verse 44, they have everything in common. What is that about? They had everything that mattered in common. Everything that they decided was significant they shared. And so when it came time to worship, they worshiped together. When it came time to feast, they feasted together. There was a need, well, there was just, there, were, there was common resources. Someone needed a roof, there were common roofs. We, we see this in the very next verse, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This means that everybody outside of this community, were, they were watching and they were like, whatever that is, I don't know if I want in it, but that is awesome. Whatever's going on in that eclectic group of people, I think that is incredible what is going on. They had the favor of the people where people were like, this is a better place because this group has decided to meet in the temple courts daily and go into homes and share together. And so you read this kind of thing. Why are they selling their property and possessions? Because sometimes we, we like speed read things and like, oh, it says we should sell it. Quick, sell everything you have. Why, why is it going on here? Some of these people came to Jerusalem for a feast, but they came by boat because they lived on an island far away. This was like a pilgrimage for them. And when they saw what God was doing at this place, at this time, they were like, this is me for life. And so that home I have on the island, I don't need that home anymore. And so they sold that home, and they sold that land, and they sold those possessions because they no longer have a life there. Their life is now in Jerusalem, but they're in Jerusalem, and they have no home, and so people who have homes in Jerusalem say, hey, you're not from here. Why don't you come, come be with me? And because you're from a different country, we, we speak different languages, we eat different foods, we have different customs, but we'll figure this thing out because we've got things in common. And so we'll go worship together and, and we'll eat together and we'll, we'll figure this out. Here, here's what's most beautiful to me, this group of people. They were committed to this expression of the kingdom. This move of the Holy Spirit in these specific people at the specific time and place. 
That's a lot of words, but I want to make sure you get this. These people that we find in Acts 2, this first church, they were committed to this specific expression of the kingdom, this move of the Holy Spirit in these people at this time, at this place. They said, this is where I belong, and I know it because the Holy Spirit has pierced my heart. And these people, though eclectic, they are my people. It's like a tribe formed, a family formed. And they said, this is where I belong. And this is the place where they laid everything down, much more significant than simply a palm branch. They left possessions and customs and ways of thought and ways of action. They laid it all down and they weren't picking it up again. Have you ever been at that point where you gotta make that decision? You ever been at that point where you've laid everything down and then you look at it and you're like, well, that's all I got. That's everything that I've got. Last month, I was, I was with some friends and uh, they, they've heard of one church. They're kind of paying attention to us on like Facebook and stuff. So they're paying attention to like our family photos. They don't know all the goofy stuff going on, but you know, they see the photo. I was talking to some friends and we were talking about like reconciliation, particularly racial reconciliation. We were talking about the divide and it was another one of those points where the news was just filled with all these ideas that the biggest dream we could ever imagine is that maybe everyone has equal weight but will never be together and there's no reason to be together. And I remember asking my one friend and I said, is it always going to be like this? Is it always going to be where we're just completely divided? And he believes in Jesus, and he, he's kind of like a, a mentor to me, and he was like, yeah, I, th- I think so. It's always going to be like this. And I, I was shocked, because I really want him to give me like one of those Rudy pep talks, you know? He's like, no, I think that's it. And I was like, no, like in our lifetime, do you think it will ever change? And he's like, no, I, I don't. And I had this thing just sink in me. And I got all emotional, which is not a shock, right? But I got all emotional, and I started to think about all the things that we have collectively laid down for one church. And I started thinking about what my family has said. Okay, Dad, this is your dream. Nikki's saying to me, Matt, this is your dream. I believe you're called to it. We'll push all in for this thing. And it wasn't like in a pile on the floor, but it was like it was in a pile on the floor. I was like, Lord, I know you asked me to do this. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Because for the, the first time, I, I kind of wanted to pick it all up. I kind of wanted to pick up my palm branches and my coat and be like, my bad, I'm sorry. It was a great idea. It was a great attempt for like two weeks. Good job, guys but I just found out it's gonna be hard. I just found out people don't think we can do it. And I just found out that those people aren't evil, mean, hairy monsters. They're like some of my favorite people on the planet. But I just found out the world tells us we don't belong in one church. So maybe, just maybe, I should just pack up and go home. 
as I was talking to my friend, I was just full of emotion saying that I believed that Jesus could bring real reconciliation and I believe that he's worth everything that we've put into this thing and that I believe that one church is even bigger than just a thing about two races, that this is something about people and doors being swung open to the kingdom of God and us being a unique expression of that, of what the Holy Spirit is doing in one place, at one time, in one people. And I've put everything I have into this thing. And I cried with my friend. And I was reminded of these words in Galatians. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And here's the challenge that I felt that day. I said that I would die, that I would lay my life down. But I didn't know, or I didn't realize that I had to decide to stay dead. I said I would lay things down. And I did, and I kind of acted like my job was done there. And I'm realizing over the past month that my job is to stay dead, that my job is to lay my palm branches, my cloak, my life, my flesh, everything down and leave it down so that Christ can be alive in me. This means my preferences, my easier ways to do things. They die and they stay dead. This means my desire of, of what I think the ideal life for, for my kids and what I would want if I got to craft it all. No, that's, that's got to lay down and be dead. That means when I hear a, a tiny little picture of your life and I think I've got the greatest advice for you ever, but really you just need a friend and you need someone to pray and approach the throne of grace with confidence with you, I need to lay all my great, fantastic, horrible advice down and let it die and stay dead that might mean we have a few less guitar solos or a few more and I lay that down I died to it and I stayed dead that means that I believe that Jesus is the hope for old Louisville and the University of Louisville the real place where we become one And because I believe that, I die and I stay dead and I let him do that however he chooses to do that. And some of that, because he's faithful and good, I get to be a part of that. And some of it I see through Facebook. And that's because he's that faithful. Because I'm not the Messiah. And this community doesn't need me. And he's a spirit that's at work within us. But I realize that I'm always afraid to be a fool. You ever been there? I'm afraid that I won't be enough or we won't be enough. And so I want to pick everything up and dust myself off and act like nothing happened. But these last seven weeks, though they're only seven weeks, they've changed me. And we know that seven weeks can change everything. Because seven weeks before these verses, the people were saying, Hosanna, I love the idea of you, Jesus. I love the idea of laying things down for you if you do everything the way that I want you to do. And he did that for about no minutes. And they real quick picked up their branches and said, crucify him. 
Because it's either my dream or him who dies. And so it's him who goes. And just before he gave his life, he sat with his friends and he broke some bread. He said, this is my body which is about to be broken for you. And he poured out a cup. And he said, this is my blood which is about to be poured out for you. And every time you get together and feast, every time, remember me. Remember this. And over the next few weeks, wildness occurred. And at the end of those seven weeks, this community emerged living wholeheartedly for God and his kingdom in a way that no human could ever imagine. In verse 47, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, God moved and opened doors for people to come to him and live in awe and wonder. And here's our invitation today, guys. In a moment, we're going to receive communion. In just a moment, Jamel's going to go to the middle table. This is my way of telling him. He's going to go to the middle table, and he's going to say the words of communion. But before, before we do that, we're going to give you a moment. Maybe that's a certain preference. Maybe that's a, a sin you just can't let go of. Maybe it's a relationship. I don't know what it is. But I want to invite you to lay, write it down on this branch. And before you go to the table, on your way to the table, lay it down. And it's going to be right next to a bunch of other people's. And it's going to be really awkward if you try to pick it back up because you're going to pick up somebody else's sin. Don't do that. <laughs> 